Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the People's Show. I'm Vic Nazar, back in the saddle here, 3 to 4 on Sportsnet 650. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Dom running the show. Elon back there. Intern Mac as well. Full house behind the glass. Everyone's chipping in. You can chime in as well. 650-650 into our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. And online, DunbarLumber.com. My first uh, people show back. Remind me, Dom, to uh, never take holidays again. Because every no, time no. I go, no, no, because every time I go, something goes down. That's the point. I'll never leave you again. I'm never leaving the studio again. Uh, yeah, I missed quite a bit. By the way, the look on Josh's face when Horvat news broke. Guys, guys, it's happening. Breaking news. It's going down right now. Man, it's been a wild uh, ten days uh, since the last of the people show. I'm not going to get into the whole. Uh, trade thing again. Uh, it's, it's it's been a while. I, I I miss the boat. I miss the boat. But uh, Canucks uh, get the first chance to look at it's what been the eighty four years. <laughs> we'll get into a little bit with uh, with Yannick. Who look, we're getting ready this week to see the Islanders as well. Uh, Canucks play in Long Island on Thursday, so they'll get a chance to look at Bo Horvat. Uh, Yannick went through all of that, obviously getting traded to San Jose. And having to play his former team. So we'll get uh, some thoughts from Yannick Hansen on that in just a moment as he joins us every Tuesday here on the People's Show. But last night, first impressions of part of the return uh, for Bo Horvat trade, Anthony Bovillier making an impression. Uh, we'll get into all of that with uh, Yannick Hansen, who uh, connects with us now. Brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Yannick, how are you? Not too bad and always a pleasure. Uh, so a, a lot's happened. I was away last week. Obviously, the, the Horvat trade goes down, and we're getting ready to, to, to see Horvat again as they're going to be playing this week. You went through this experience. Uh, if, if, if you're in Bo's mind right now, uh, what are you thinking the, the next time you face your team? Yeah, it's strange. Uh, I mean, it is not in Vancouver, so, so you do, do have a little bit more time to mm-hmm. kind of uh, swallow the pill a little bit, but that will be the, the first time it really settles in. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's strange. Um You've been playing with with these guys for so long. Uh, it's all you ever known, and now, yeah, you you, you face off again. I, I, that didn't go a long time when when I got traded to San Jose before we were back playing Vancouver as well, and, and it is strange. Um, I mean, you're used to calling certain guys for for passes and stuff like that, and now all of a sudden you're, yeah, you're you're on the opposite side. So it it takes a little bit of time, but that being said, again, you're. He's in the East now, so they'll see each other uh, not not very often going forward here. So uh, it'll probably be the furthest thing from from his mind. There's the hockey portion of it, which you know he, he made his Islanders debut, and as you mentioned, hey, calling for the names and the, the right spots and everything. Is, is the emotional, mental side of it the, the toughest thing to overcome? Yeah, there was some sadness for sure. Um, I mean, I'm assuming Bo wanted to to stay in Vancouver as well. Um, obviously, they couldn't work out the contract constructual or the, the contract differences um so so with that being said he obviously liked it there um your teammates become friends and then so forth um 
so so there are some emotional stuff that that goes through your head as well uh, as you're moving on um and it hits like like lightning from the sky um because in one uh, one moment you're you're Vancouver Canuck and then you get the call and boom you're you're an islander now um and then you just got to face with that um so so it comes it comes to the forefront once you play the guys and yeah you're walking into the to the other dressing room and, and pulling on the different different sweater and these things so it's uh it's it is a little bit hard uh, tough especially when it's not something that you're wanting uh, necessarily um it, it just adds on top now that the story's done right like he's been traded and also he signed his contract so we can kind of view everything from a from a 3000 foot angle and you, you you see the number, it's eight years for $68 million, 8.5 per year. Now that we see what that number is, do you kind of understand from all parties' point of view, like why this kind of came out to this scenario? Yeah, there's no way they should sign him to that. Um, I, I made that pretty obvious uh, during this year as well. Um, it's it's too much money um, to tie up um, in both. He had a, he had a great year, having a great year. Um, but again, where the Canucks are and where they're headed is just not feasible. You can't commit that type of money to, to another player um, right now. Um, if you're right on the cusp and you can find it in your <laughs> in your budget, um, sure. But but that's not where Vancouver is right now. Um, so, so that number is is obviously too high, and you need to recuperate some some assets. Um, try to get better down the line and hopefully that the players they got back will turn into um, better players down the future. Um, somebody, someone who will help this team uh, become better and, and win at some point. Um, Cause there's no question uh, right now you take a step back when, when you let a bowl, a player like Bo leave and yeah, you bring back Bo Villier, but, but they're obviously not at the same caliber right now. You're hoping that, he can turn into a to a score or top six forward or whatever it is. But but uh, the moment you make this transaction, you 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 weaken your team. But in some cases, that's okay. And where Vancouver is right now, there's nothing wrong with that. The Vancouver side of it, like one of the biggest things that people are talking about now, is the leadership responsibility. And now here's Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes. They get A's put on their jersey. And now it's upon them to grow as well. What are the first things that you want to look at and and a, do you also look at these two guys and say they are capable of doing this? I don't know if they're capable of doing it yet. Like I said, you probably need to be in the dressing room. Mm -hmm. um, these two have been leading with their play on the ice and they're a leader in that aspect. How they are in the dressing room, how they behave, um, do they hold guys accountable or do they just sit and mind their own business? We, we don't know that unless you're you're actually in there. Um, so there is probably some growing to do unless it's part of their nature to be those type of players. And if they are great, it'll come easier. Otherwise, uh, there's some grooming need to be done um, and maybe stepping outside of your comfort zone, which is probably a good thing that they didn't hand either of them a C right off the bat. Um, right now, you can kind of hide. It's a leadership group, and it's led by committee and all these things. It's not the same person who has to stand in front of all the media uh, after every tough loss, after something happens in the community or whatever it might be. No, you, you can share that responsibility. And the young 
young players can still focus on being the best players they have to be and, and not worry about, oh, what's going to, what do I need to comment on today and what do I need to uh, have an opinion on all these things that uh, that are a little bit harder for, for players to, to relate to and, and, and talk about maybe. Actually, okay, so you would have been full-time with the Canucks in 2008. Henrik was named captain in 2010. Did you, like, again, we're trying to make links to, of how people can grow. Like, what did you see in those first two years for, for Henrik of the growth of getting to the stage of being a captain? Well, there's, Hank was a lot older at that point. Yeah. Um, so he, he was already had that seniority, not not just through his play, but, but through his age and time in the league and production. And so there, there's no question. And he'd been leading for years past as well as part of that leadership group so it was just a, it was a normal normal transition in the dressing room and there was there was no questioning where where, where that C was going um at that point everybody knew that where right now you're looking at the dressing room you're like oh who's gonna who are we gonna give it to who can take it uh, is there somebody who's gonna step up or, or are we gonna make a <laughs> throw a dart in the dark here and just hope it works out so I wouldn't draw too many comparables to to this team and and what happened back then. There is a rush, as you mentioned, of wanting to name somebody. Would you play this out all of next year as well, and just say, "Hey, no assistance. We're still in a transition phase. We can play this out still a whole year." I would have no rush in naming a captain unless whoever they're ready for it. Like again, we're we're talking about Quinn Hughes and PD, obviously. Um, and again, lot will determine as well. You're not going to name Petey uh, captain if he wants out in the summer and say, no, I'm not signing an extension right now. Then you're not going to do it. Um, so, so there are some things. But again, I wouldn't put that much pressure on them right now with where the team is because there are a lot of tough nights and the captain, you're expected to be there, answer all these things. And it can become tedious and tiresome to, to keep being that guy and really we still want them to grow as players and worry and focus about themselves to become the best players they can be um, so they do have the extra effort to give in media scrums and, and all these things that it takes that the moment you become a captain instead of just an alternate so, so no I wouldn't have any rush in, in naming a captain uh, right now with where the team are um, and just kind of take it and go with it. it it doesn't hurt that you have four guys yeah the other captain is the the, the face of the, the franchise and all these things but faces of the franchise are still the same players regardless of who you name captain right now uh we've talked to you so many times of, of kind of breaking up the season and in, in different segments and what markers are important and i've heard you say so many times hey after the all-star break teams start to pick it up and we saw they, you know, it was, it was a fast game yesterday. Vancouver was able to skate with uh, New Jersey outside of 50 seconds there. But even elsewhere, like the Rangers-Flames game was very intense, one of the games of the season already. And we're already kind of starting to see that intensity pick up. What did you like out of last night's game uh, against the Devils? Yeah, the dark days are almost over us here now. <laughs> uh, our past, if, if you will. Um, now you, you're you're getting closer to the deadline. You can start to see the teams taking shape, uh, buyers, sellers, um that excitement that are at the beginning of the year kind of creeps back in right now, especially for the teams in the playoffs are the ones right around as well. Um, and you can see that uh, you're starting to, to fine tune your game a little bit more. It's not just the grind. Um, 
there's a different urgency now. Um, once you get past these next couple of games here, all of a sudden most of the out-of-conference games are, are done as well. So you'll see another a lot of divisional games, the four-point uh, games that that really matters and and can shift in standings. So so it is uh, it, it gets it gets dialed up a little bit now, uh, and then again after the deadline, uh, especially. Um, but again, players are, are excited now. You get a little bit of a break, uh, a reprieve from the season. Uh, some people get to to go on a little bit of vacation, remove themselves, and come back with uh, with some fresh energy. Uh, and I think that's kind of what you saw last night. Was there more structure in the, in the game last night? And I know it's tough because it, it was high event. Uh, you know, me and Sat were talking in the post game show, and it felt like some of the chances created by New Jersey were more about. Canuck turnovers in the in the defensive zone, obviously leading to goals and chances. But overall, like, are you noticing any your principles of what we think Rick Talk at Hockey will look like? I think it'll take a little bit more time uh, for for that really to sink in. Mm-hmm. And again, it's one thing if they all oh, they went out and they played a phenomenal game. This is a new team. No, it's it's not a new team. It's the same team. Once they start doing it 5, 10, 15, 20 games, half a season, then we can start talking about them having changed. Uh, but right now, it's still the wind blows, and uh, these guys, they, they, they can play really good, then they can play really bad, then they can kill a penalty, then they can't kill a penalty. Um, the, the consistency in this stuff we've been uh, longing for, for for a long time. I, I think it'll take a time for it to shine through if, if they can get it done with this group. Um but, but again, it, it's not something that you look at one game as like, okay, now they're on, on the right path. Sure. Um, you, you need you need a, a lot a bigger margin here of games to kind of see if, if they're trending in the right direction or it is just uh, the, the normal up, uh, up and downs that we've been accustomed to now for, for quite a while. Uh, the other guy I want to talk about is Beauvillier makes his debut in uh, Canucks uniform. Um, it, it does look like he's got a little bit different traits than someone like Garland and someone like Brock. There just seems to be a little bit more quickness, and I I think that's the way this team wants to get built, be fast along the wings. Is that something that you noticed last night, just a a different type of player than Garland and, and Brock? Yeah, not a lot of players are the same players. So everyone mm-hmm. will have their own traits and, and their strengths and weaknesses. Um, again, a new player coming into a new team, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of practicing, new faces, uh, uh, new, new systems and all these things. So, so it takes a little while to... Uh, to get used to but but again some of the things that you can look to is like what are their work ethic what are their tendencies and then kind of start to see okay is this a player that uh, you can see fit into our group and obviously management when they move for a player like that that then that is the type of player they envision on their team otherwise it's it's just a dump and i wouldn't assume this is just a salary dump in Mm -hmm. order to make the deal work um, so, so again, you can you can never have too much speed. Uh, speed kills, if you will. And again, it 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 helps you get out of trouble. It helps you get uh, in a position better and quicker. Um, so again, you need a little bit of everything. Um, and again, Bovillier hopefully can provide something that this team has been lacking of. Uh, and again, fill a, a hole that that's needed. What did, uh, in, in, in the Canuck years, and I'll ask you about the San Jose years as well, but in, in the Canuck years, when a new player came in, you know, what did you guys try to do to integrate a, a new face into the group? You're trying to make it as easy as possible. Um, like you said, uh, you, there's a lot of trust when you're out there, uh, five guys together. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the more you trust each other, the more you know where each other are, the easier the game becomes. 
Um, so, so again, you, you make it as easy as possible, um, simple early, uh, not, not too advanced and too much thinking. Uh, thinking slows you down. Um, and then you're all like, oh, where do we need to go? Where is he going to be? And then the moment has passed. Um, so it, it, it's just about time. It, it takes time. It takes practice. Take some games to, to get into the groove of things. Um, it's good you're on the road. You're away. You're, you're forced to spend time together. Um, you don't just leave the ring and go home to your family. So you get a little bit more time to get to talk to guys, recognize guys, listen to them uh, and all these things. So it's uh, simple is often better early. Well, I, I, like that's a part I'm, I'm kind of interested in is, is the personal side of things. Obviously you mentioned they're on the road right now and just becoming part of, you know, not that everyone has to socialize, but becoming part of the, the, the dynamic group and, and the off ice component to it as well. How important is that? Yeah, it, it, it's just the com- uh, being comfortable around it. Um, again, it's a new group, and uh, again, it's east and west, so it's not the same where I'd had tons of battles with San Jose for a right. long time uh, and all these things and playoffs and uh, these things. So, so it's a little bit different. Um, I had the benefit of, of knowing a, bu- a couple of the guys really well on that team. We kind of smoothed the transition in, so you kind of just kind of go with them in the beginning, and then you get to know them and the other guys and stuff like that. But like I said, it's easy on the road because you're together in a different way. Maybe some team dinners and uh, functions and stuff like that. You're away on the East Coast, so it's uh, again, it 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 just it it smooths the transition. Again, once you get comfortable in the dressing room, you get a little bit more comfortable on the ice, uh, and it kind of just goes hand in hand. Uh, the other person we saw got called up, uh, Vasily Podkolzin, back in the NHL. Uh, small sample, but uh, did you notice him yesterday? Had a couple of chances and then set up as well uh, for for Brock. Yeah, as well. he, he's 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 the same player. It's it's a lot of times with young players, it's consistency. Yeah, uh, get, getting the same effort in, night in and night out, uh, uh, creating opportunities, finishing your check, being guard on the on the four check, not getting lost in the D zone, all these little things. Um, again, oftentimes when you go to the minors, you go to the minors to get some confidence back in your game as well. Uh, when you're playing six, seven, eight minutes a night in the NHL, you don't see the puck, you don't create any chances. You you're starting to doubt yourself and thinking, oh, am I ever going to score a goal again? This league is too good, too fast for me. You step out now in the minors, you start touching the puck, you start scoring from goal, and you say, hey, I'm actually a pretty good player here. Um, and then you bring that back up, and you hopefully you can keep that that feeling, um, and then kind of like a, a tuck and pull uh, situation here. So um, ho- hopefully. Uh, a uh, couple months in the minors, um, we'll get him back to to what we saw, where we kind of think and know that he can become, and then obviously build on that because he's still a very young player. Um, but but again, it, it's 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 consistency most of the time with these young guys. Uh, Yannick, uh, we appreciate it as always. Actually, uh, uh, before we go, um, two things. Uh, one, obviously, we saw the boat trade. Is there something you'd like to see happen next as well? Yeah, they got to make some more moves. Um, they they got to obviously see if they can collect some assets here. Uh, you're talking about major surgery. Major surgery is moving your captain out and trading bowl, getting younger, uh, taking a step back. Um, but I'd like to see a little bit more of that direction. Uh, like you said, we're we're not expecting to win this year or next year. Um, so so again, see what see what can be done uh, in order to shake this team up. I know it's hard, easy, or it's it's easier said than done um, and the make major shake up is, is on the back end and that's probably going to be very hard to do around the deadline um, but in order to have a shake up you, you're going to need some some cap space uh, something they don't have a ton of so again 
if, see if you can move out some some bigger deals that aren't working out uh, in your favors. Um, so you do have some wiggle room that when you need to make some of those moves that will uh, hopefully shift the franchise in the in the right direction. You have the the space to do it. And last one, do you have a Super Bowl prediction? <laughs> no, uh, it's hard to go against Mahomes, but but again, it's uh, once I'm out of the fantasy, I, I'm not as uh, I'm not as tight with the with the football game uh, as I used to be. You're big into fantasy football. I was for a couple of years, and then followed it. Uh, almost religiously but then got out of it for a couple of years and then it's just all oh, it happened to be on and then then you're watching it uh right on all right well we'll talk to you next week see if your prediction's good on uh, on Mahomes and whatnot uh Yannick we appreciate it as always yeah no problem long time NHLer former Vancouver Canuck Yannick Hansen on the people show brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group Metro Ford Port Coquitlam and Magnuson Ford and Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you yeah gonna be a weird one on Thursday to see Bo Horvat in an Islanders jersey uh, up against the Vancouver Canucks. And, and we, we talked to Yannick a lot about that transition to San Jose and getting integrated with the new squad. How is that going to look? And Bo's got no time to, uh, you know, get his bearings straight and get used to his surroundings before he sees something very familiar uh, with the Canucks jersey on the other side of the ice. Uh, they play tonight and then again on Thursday. Canucks getting ready for a back-to-back. Uh, busy night in the NHL tonight. Uh, six games. But most importantly for Canucks fans, Anaheim and Chicago playing. 5.30 puck drop. Big, big lottery game. Big lotto watch game tonight uh, on top of San Jose playing in Tampa Bay, uh, Detroit hosting Edmonton, and then uh, the aforementioned Islanders uh, hosting the Kraken. So a lot of teams to kind of keep an eye on as far as a lot of watch as it continues. Pick up a point last night, uh, hold true in seventh overall odds. Uh, we'll see if Montreal closes the gap a little bit. They're off for a little while. I think they next play on uh, Saturday. Uh, so Montreal is kind of idle while the Canucks try to pick up some games in the meantime. Uh, all right, we'll be back in a minute. We'll talk to Mark Schofield on the other side, getting ready for Super Bowl Super Bowl week. It's a fantastic one because we really get to dig in on one matchup uh, with Mark, who does great work over at SB Nation, QB analyst and NFL writer. So we'll get into it all with Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, what they'll be facing and what things you can be looking out for on a Sunday as you're munching on nachos, cracking a couple of cold ones, watching the game. Uh, what things should you be on the lookout for of how Kansas City and Philadelphia are going to line up for Super Bowl Sunday? More on the way on The People Show. Coming up here on the Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks, before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the People Show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Take it at 4 o'clock. Canuck Central taking over Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw. The rest of the way here on Sportsnet 650. Join us, though, on Sunday with Randy Janda presenting the Clayton Public House Big Football Party at 5640 188th Street in Surrey. 
on Super Sunday with Randy. You can reserve your table now at theclaytonpub.com. I keep forgetting. The Clayton Pub. We're trying to do the uh, Ohio State thing. Uh, we got tailgate going on, drink specials, uh, prizing throughout the course of the day. Kicks off at 3.30. Uh, so you can get in at theclaytonpub.com. Hang out with Randeep. Enjoy the game. The Randeep uh, Janda. The Randeep Janda. He's been posting uh, this thing because uh, he was all over the place yeah. during All-Star Weekend. Uh, fantastic stuff by Randeep. Uh, part of the... Uh, Growing the game initiative that the Angels is doing in Toronto, and he was obviously in Florida, and he posted one of it's like a video montage of him, but it looked like a slot machine, and I was like, "Are, are you in a slot machine?" And uh, and then sure, certainly by the end of it, I realized it was the United by Hockey Museum, but great stuff by Randy uh, with that. But if you check it out on his Instagram, that's the next part of his expansion. You just walk into a Vegas casino. There's Randy's face. Well, the thing is, uh, my mind got slipped elsewhere because I was watching. I was playing a game on my phone, and like the ad came up, and it's like, "Be download this game, Vegas slots." And so my mind was already on slots, and then went to Instagram, and I saw Randy's post. And I was like, "Is this a slot machine? Go check it out at Randy Janda on Instagram. And you can ask him about it on Sunday uh, at the Clayton Public House. Good food, good people, good times. We'll get to Mark Schofield in just a moment. Uh, QB analyst and NFL writer at SB Nation. But let's get to the people's picks first. Brought to you by Playnow Sports. Get a $5 free bet when you make a $25 same-game parlay wager on NFL games. Conditions apply. Must be 19+. plus. It's Super Bowl week, so we get all these awesome and different props for Super Bowl week. But first, we'll stick on the game. We'll talk about this with Mark. Jalen Hurts. You know, so much is made about his running ability, but very conservative, at least statistically, six interceptions on the year. And trying to think of how they're going to build this game plan out, I do think they're going to pepper the short part of the field. And I'm looking at Jalen Hurts over passing completions, 21 and a half at 1.95. So that's one I'm taking uh, a look at. And now we get some exotic props, not necessarily uh, outside of the league and comparing the box score in the Super Bowl to the NHL or something like that, but just some different ones you don't usually see on Sundays. Longest successful field goal distance in the Super Bowl. I'm going under 48 and a half. These are two very progressive teams. If you're pushed to a decision on a 50-yard field goal, are you more likely to go for it or not? And I think both of these teams, Philly has shown that they will go for it. Kansas City with their personnel and Patrick Mahomes, they're always good to even convert a fourth and four or something like that. So longest successful field goal distance, I'm saying under 48 and a half at 1.71 up at playnow.com. That's people's picks brought to you by Playnow Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com, you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Know your limit. Play within it. A lot to get into, including some, uh, what was that? And boom goes the dynamite. We're going to do that every day this week? I guess only two shows this week, though. We'll, we'll be back on Friday with a back-to-back on Wednesday and Thursday with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, and we'll preview the Super Bowl as well on Friday. Uh, all right, let's get into it with Mark Schofield. Before we get to some of the Super Bowl stuff, it's it's a fun week, Mark, because uh, we get to talk specifically about the game, but coaching things have kind of 
percolated and we're seeing some QBs. Tom Brady has announced his official retirement. So let's get into it all. Uh, how are you doing, though? I'm doing well, Bick. It is fantastic to be with you on Super Bowl week, like you said. And I can only say that, look, Super Bowl week got off to the start. We all dreamed it would, which is Tom Brady posting <laughs> some interesting photos on social media. Let's just leave it at that. He wasn't even hacked either. It was just, hey, no. I'm doing this on my own. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, it's it's a um, it's an interesting way to kick off Super Bowl week. But as we've seen from Tom Brady, he has this incredible knack and ability to keep himself in the conversation. Stays and he showed it again this week. Yeah, he stays current. And actually, you know, before we get to the game, let's actually talk about maybe some offseason stuff here. We'll start with Brady. And, and you and I had spoken recently after the game where it, it just felt like he can do all the things on the field, stand in the pocket, throw the ball, all those things. But it just taking a hit. I don't know what taking a hit at 45 feels like. I'm sure it's a lot different than when he was at 27. And it is that part of the game. I just wonder if that took the ability away to do all the other things he's great at. And still great at. Yeah, and it certainly seems that way because, you know, you and I talked about this. He could do everything. But the willingness to sort of stay in the pocket and expose himself to some of those shots, it didn't seem like he wanted to do that part of the game anymore. And this is something that Brady had shown, you know, with increasing frequency over the past couple of years. You know, he's checking the ball down quicker. He's thrown it away faster. But it seemed accelerated this season. It seemed like, you know, down the stretch, and certainly that game against Dallas, you know, first read wasn't there, second read wasn't there. I'm throwing this away. And you combine that with some of the talk we had seen over the season and into the end of the year, and certainly since his decision to, to step aside, the idea that he couldn't keep weight on, that the physical part of keeping the body in a position to absorb some of those hits, that wasn't there for him this season. And, you know, maybe, you know, it was a chicken and the egg kind of situation where, oh, I don't want to take the hits. I can't keep the weight on. I can't keep the weight on. I don't want to take the hits. But yeah, that aspect of his playing style wasn't there. And, we know Tom Brady from seeing him over the years. He doesn't want to be average. He doesn't want to be just good. He wants to be Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And you remove that ability from his pocket game, and he's not going to be the same. And I think, you know, there's probably a number of reasons why he decided this was the time to step away. I think that was among them. Uh, also looking at some of the offseason uh, coaching, musical chairs, um and what it could mean for quarterbacks on the move. Has anything kind of happened as far as the coaching ranks that you look at and say, okay, this quarterback could link up with this team? Not yet so much. Um, you know, I do think the decision in, with Carolina, mm-hmm. with Frank Reich, probably is a window into a, a rookie quarterback. And obviously the Panthers need to figure out the quarterback position. But I think when you look at Frank Reich, and I can understand why people might say, hey, look, it didn't work with him and Carson Wentz two seasons ago. It didn't work with him and Matt Ryan last year. It's also important to remember that he was part of the group, along with Doug Peterson, uh, John DeFilippo, in Philadelphia that turned Carson Wentz from a intriguing rookie to a, this guy's playing at a Super Bowl MVP kind of level before his knee injury in 2017. And so, you know, there is that sort of record of quarterback development, young quarterback development that Frank Reich brings to the table. So I, I think, you know, there's a, a nod to that. You know, as far as some of the other moves that have been made, 
obviously Nathaniel Hackett, offensive coordinator, New York Jets. Mm-hmm. You think Aaron Rodgers. You, you in. Robert Sala said when that move was announced that, look, we're going to explore the veteran quarterback market. Now, for his part, Rodgers has just informed us here on Tuesday afternoon that he's going into a dark room for four days. And it's, again, not to return to Brady, but the older generation of quarterbacks are having an interesting week. Because you have Brady's photograph, you have Rodgers saying that, on Pat McAfee's show that he's going to go into this dark room retreat for four days and, and come out with a decision. And this is also on the heels of him as, as covered at a, you know, an extremely high level by our own justice Mosquito over at SB nation. You know, he was on some astrology show on Monday, breaking down his, you know, astrological signs and you know, what that means for him personally and professionally. The older generation of quarterbacks are having themselves a week you know, as we get ready for the youngest quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. But with Hackett's move to New York with the Jets, you obviously think Rodgers, but we'll have to wait and see on what he decides at the end of his four-day stint in a dark room. Okay, let me put it to you this way, then. If you're the if you're a quarterback on the market, and let's just use a generic one, like you could be somewhere between Aaron Rodgers and Geno Smith or whoever, what's the team that you look at that's gone through coaching change that you'd say, hey, that's the destination I want to go? You know, obviously the Jets are an attractive team, I, I think, because this is a team that was average quarterback away, average quarterback play away from being a playoff team. You know, it's a young and talented defense. You have some incredible pieces on offense, you know, whether it's Garrett Wilson, whether it's Brees Hall when he's back, you know, maybe you get something out of Elijah Moore. I know there's, you know, it was a fractured situation between him and the offensive coordinator, but the offensive coordinator was gone. And the idea of, look, the New York Jets in that fan base, in that city, you know, the, the New York Jets fan base, full portion of New York City and the surrounding area, they're starved mm-hmm. for a successful quarterback. They're starved for it. You know, you think back to when, Matt's, when Mark Sanchez had his debut and, you know, the back pages were filled with a star is born type headlines. And same thing with Sam Donald. And, you know, they haven't really had consistent successful quarterback play really since Namath. I mean, maybe Brett Favre for the short time he was there, but, you know, that's a franchise, that's an organization, that's a fan base that has starved for quarterback play. So if you're Derek Carr, you can come in and be a savior. If you're Aaron Rodgers, if you're Geno Smith, I mean, if you're any of these potential veterans on the market, Jimmy Garoppolo, you can come in and step into a very good situation and be viewed as a savior with just average quarterback play. And so I think that makes that destination very attractive. Uh, all right, let's get to the game, and, and one of the reasons I love talking about the Super Bowl is we can just focus on one game entirely and really sink our teeth into it. Uh, I was kind of going back and watching some Jalen Hurts stuff and you know looking stats uh, last week, and you know one thing that really stood out to me is six interceptions on the year. That you know for for a, a new player at a, at a position here, or I shouldn't say new, but you know taking his first steps as being a starter really. You know, six interceptions is pretty good, and and for the the way this offense plays, I feel like that conservative nature. While he might get in some trouble sometimes, but the ultimate output of six interceptions, fitting into the Taylor uh, tailoring it to the offense, I feel like is maybe an under discussed thing because we focus so much on what Jalen Hurts can do with his legs outside of just his passing ability too. Right, and you know, I think that's one of the reasons to look at the Eagles and why they're favorites in this game. It's it's Hurts and his ability to take care of the football. 
you know, the fact that six interceptions in today's NFL is a small number. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at, you know, league-wide, that's a pretty small number for a team that does throw the ball. Maybe they don't throw it all over the place, but they've shown in some games that willingness to throw the football when it makes sense for them. You know, you look at, you know, they had a two-game stretch against Tennessee and Green Bay earlier this year. Well, one week against Green Bay, a team that couldn't stop the run, they ran it all over them. And then the next week against Tennessee, a team that could stop the run, they threw it all over them. You know, and you and I have talked over the years about teams that have multiple pathways to winning games being favorites for that reason. And the Eagles are that team. They can beat you in a number of different ways. And Hurts can take care of the football. And that's been a huge part of his development. There are a number of reasons why he's taken that year three leap. Pocket presence is one. Taking care of the football is another. You know, and there are a number of reasons why he's able to do that. You know, having A.J. Brown has certainly helped free up areas of that field that were closed to him in years past. It's freed up, and Benjamin Solak at the Renner had a great piece about, you know, the presence of A.J. Brown earlier today, and he talked about how the middle of the field was closed to Jalen Hurts last year. He wasn't throwing to that area of the field, and you could talk to defensive coordinators about how easy it is to defend an offense when they don't attack a certain area of the field. It makes it so much easier. It makes your job easier. You know, having A.J. Brown and his willingness to work over the middle combined with the newfound willingness of Jalen Hurts to attack that area of the field and not turn the football over when doing so is huge because that's a reason many quarterbacks are reluctant to throw over the middle. It leads to turnovers. There's a lot of bodies in the middle of the field. There's a lot that can go wrong when you throw that dig route, that crosser, that post. But when you're now willing to open that part of the playbook up and attack that area of the field, there's a butterfly effect to it where suddenly the sidelines are a little bit easier to attack. Underneath is a little bit easier to throw to. Deep down the field, down the field is a little bit easier to throw to. And so, you know, there are a number of reasons why Jalen Hurts has taken that leap. That willingness to attack the middle of the field and the ability to avoid turnovers when doing so is a huge part of that. Yeah, I feel like threading the line between conser- conservative and responsible, they've done a great job of, uh, with that uh, through this season. And when we're watching on Sunday, Mark, like what's the one concept we should be watching, play type, whatever you want to call it, when Jalen Hurts is on the field, what should we be looking for? Yeah, I mean, obviously the stuff that they do off of RPO run action is big. You know, there's a... You could make the case that they run sort of a modern triple option offense where it's, you know, inside zone look, QB zone read off of that, RPO throw off of that. So it's basically a three option type of design, but it's instead of, you know, fullback dive, pitch to the halfback quarterback keep, it's run QB run throw. You know, it's a sort of evolution of that. You know, in the passing game, you certainly want to look for a lot of vertical stuff that they do in the passing game. They're very adept at attacking downfield along the boundaries in the vertical passing game. You know, you'll see a lot of verticals, verticals out of three by one, where you've got the bending vertical route that works to the weak side. Sometimes it's Dallas Garter. Most of the time it's Dallas Garter running that, but you might see Quez Watkins on that. And then they do some stuff in this sort of post-crosser Yankee concept where you've got the deep post and that crossing route underneath and you're really sort of trying to work that high-low on that post safety in the middle of the field. And, you know, they they do a lot of what you might term sort of college concepts in the passing game, but it works and it works well because the designs are there, the personnel is there, and they have a quarterback that's very comfortable at executing those. And so when they have the football 
you know, those are some of the things that I'll be watching for. Those are some of the things that your listeners should be watching for. Some of these designs that, yeah, you might see them on Friday nights, on Saturday afternoons, but they are seen on Sunday afternoons as well because they're well-designed concepts that they execute at a high level. Let's flip it uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs now. When you have someone like Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, a lot is available to you as far as concepts. But if there's a go-to play, say third and six, what would you expect to see from the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, obviously they can go in a number of different directions, but you're probably going to see Travis Kelsey on some sort of isolated option route. You know, they like to get him and Patrick Mahomes sort of on the same page, isolate them against, isolate Travis Kelsey against a defender in space, give him potential two or even three-way go, depending on how they they structure this concept, and letting them sort of read it out on the fly. You know, if you think back to that game against the Buffalo Bills, sort of the 13 seconds game, right? That's what they went to when they needed that one last play was sort of an isolated option route with Kelsey where he reads the leverage of the defender, breaks inside, breaks outside, sits down, and Mahomes works off of his read of the coverage and leverage. Um, it, it's something that works for them so well. If you think back to, you know, they had a touchdown on fourth down against the Cincinnati Bengals, it was a similar concept where it's just, you know, you're reading the leverage of the defender. It's almost like a basketball play. You're breaking away from from the defender. There are, you know, more structured concepts that they can go to. You know, something to watch for them is where they've got crossers underneath with vertical routes on the outside out of heavier personnel, 12 and even 13 personnel, which is two or three tight ends in the game. But in a sort of gotta-have-it moment, they like to get Kelsey isolated they like to give him options based on the coverage and the leverage, and they let those two players read it out after the snap. Will they have enough personnel at wide receiver to deflect attention towards Kelsey? Because I just wonder if, if the bodies aren't there, and I would just worry about cluster injuries. I know Tony has said he's playing. I just I just worry if it's a, a somewhat anonymous players on the outside for the Chiefs. Will it be able to divert the attention of the Eagles? You know, that's going to be a huge story Sunday. You know, how healthy is that receiver room, number one? And number two, whoever is out there, can they create opportunities against a very good secondary, a very good cornerback group? Darius Slay, James Bradbury, Chauncey, C.J. Garner-Johnson, you know, Avante Maddox. They've got talent in that secondary. And the other thing to keep in mind, you know, and I actually wrote this piece today, why Hassan Reddick could win MVP Eagles are so good at getting pressure with the four. And it's such a rote answer. It's cliche. It's something easy that, you know, somebody like me can come on a show like this and say, oh, if they get pressure with four, they're going to win. But the Eagles do it at such a high level. You know, and I actually pulled from Sports Info Solutions. When they had four or fewer rushers in the two playoff games, they got pressure 60% of the time. That's an eye-popping number. Now, granted, it's a two-game sample size and two blowouts where they could pin their ears back. But even in the regular season, they get pressure, I think, 36% of the time when rushing four or fewer, which was sixth best in the NFL. They're very good at getting pressure with four. And what does that mean? It means you can have dedicated safety help. You can have the two high structures that we've seen. And so, you know, you don't even have to worry about, you know, can guys like Slay and Bradbury hold up against whoever the Chiefs are going to have on the boundary because you're going to have dedicated safety help. Or you can have a robber in the middle of the field to take away some of the stuff that Travis Kelsey wants to do in the middle of the field. And so that's another aspect to this. It's, you know, can the Chiefs 
boundary receivers hold up? Yes, I think that's an important question. But will they even get the chance to because of what the Eagles can do up front? And it gets us back to the idea that in this game, the Eagles might be the better, the more complete team. The Chiefs might just have an advantage of two different positions. Those positions just happen to be quarterback and tight end, two pretty big, two pretty critical positions in today's NFL. Okay, so walk me through it then. If they're rushing four and they're dropping back seven, who's the guy or the area of the field that Patrick Mahomes is trying to isolate and manipulate? I mean, you know, it sort of depends on the coverage, you know, because if it's sort of that too high cover two, cover four, quarter, quarter, half world, you're still trying to split the safeties. You know, if you think about that too deep coverage, look, well, you've got two safeties deep. One of the soft areas of that is between the safeties. And that's obviously where Kelsey can work. That's where, if he's healthy, Tony can sort of be effective because you split that. You try to get a matchup against maybe a linebacker or a strong safety. That could that could happen. If it's a three deep where you've got a safety in the middle of the field and two outside defenders as well, sort of dividing the, dividing the field into thirds, you're trying to get seam routes, right? You're trying to, again, split those deep defenders instead of over the middle. Now it's up the seams, up the hash marks. So you're thinking... You know, Kelsey, MVS, Juju Smith-Schuster on seam routes if those receivers are able to go. You could even do some of that stuff, and the, the Chiefs have done that this year, you know, out of heavier personnel groupings, running those seams with tight ends against linebackers. But the overarching aim of those seven deep, you know, seven defenders and covered structures, you really want to force them to be patient. You know, again, back to Benjamin Solak's piece, you know, he referred to it as, you know, in the years past when Mahomes was first having success, he was the big dragon hitting big plays downfield. Now you want to force that dragon to be patient and to take stuff underneath, you know, to take check downs, to take routes in the flat and in the hooks underneath, you know. And Mahomes has shown more of a willingness to do that in recent years, but that's the bet you're playing. You want to force Mahomes to beat you by a thousand cuts. In years past, he didn't really do that as consistently as the Chiefs needed him to. This year, he's shown more of a willingness to do that. In the past couple of seasons, and this is something I wrote about before the AFC Championship game, You know, his average depth of target has crept from 8.6 down to 7.4 over the past couple of years because he's been more willing to do that first because he was forced to, now because of the evolution in their offense. And so... You know, when you're doing that, when you're rushing four, you're forcing the quarterback to try to be patient and, you know, beat you by those thousand cuts. Mahomes has shown an evolution and a more, you know, more of a willingness to do that this season. Uh, all right, Mark, prediction time. Like I said, look, I, I think the Eagles are the better team, the more complete team. Patrick Mahomes is tough to bet against. He gives them an advantage at that position. And That's my internal struggle all this past yeah, 10 days but, here. But I, I think ultimately... The Chiefs have shown that ability to beat you a number of different ways. And like I said, you know, we've talked over the years about big games like this one. And I always say, look, the team that has more pathways to win gets the advantage in my eye. And I think the Eagles have more pathways. If this is a 17-14 game, I think the Eagles can win that. If this is a 34-31 game, I think the Eagles can win that. Hmm. And so I think it's going to be close. I think it's a 27-24 kind of game. I like the Eagles. Mark, uh, we appreciate it as always. Uh, we will talk next week after a Super Bowl victory for someone. Sounds good, my friend. Always a blast. Enjoy the game, you and yours and all your listeners. It should be a fun one.
It's our guy, Mark Schofield from SB Nation, QB analyst. I feel like my uh, cranium grows every single time I talk to Mark and get a good uh, scope of what's going to happen on Sunday. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of days. I'll be back tomorrow, obviously, on Canucks post game. But People Show coming back on Friday. We'll uh, set up the game all over again. We'll talk about a couple of back-to-backs for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, People Show off till Friday. Canucks Central, they're always plugging away. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw, minutes away here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.